0: The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary-client, or attorney-client relationship. Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about Deaf Doulas providing serenity and compassion at the end of life is Sharon Harris. Sharon is a certified hospice and palliative licensed nurse with decades of nursing experience. She specializes in taking care of chronically and terminally ill adults, as well as the elderly. Because she is passionate about end-of-life care and death education, she is a supporter of the death positive movement, which promotes death awareness. She is a end-of-life nursing education consortium trained, which qualifies her to provide education and training on end-of-life care and education. How are you doing today, Sharon?
1: Great, Jason, Uh, how are you? Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, looking forward to our conversation. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to you.
1: Okay, okay. Well, as Jason said, uh, my name is Sharon Harris. I'm the founder of Serenity, End of Life Doula. Um, And I'll just go ahead and start this presentation by a quote that I think is pretty pretty appropriate. And it's by Steve Jobs. and it goes, no one wants to die. Even people who wanna go to heaven don't wanna die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. Um, so I chose this quote because um, the topic of death is is taboo um, in most cultures, most arenas, most audiences, no one wants to talk about it. Um, so my my goal and my mission is to, you know, kind of raise death awareness, uh, get people talking about it, having that conversation, planning for it. Um, and yeah, uh, so I'll start again by uh, giving the definition of what an end of life doula is. Um, so in layman's terms, I like to kind of prepare, compare this to a birth doula um, as that person who was there for support for the uh, pregnant mother uh, who's giving birth um, as she's laboring. Um, so end of life doulas, I like to think of us as on the other end of that spectrum. Um, so, you know, there is sort of laboring that that goes with uh, end of life symptoms and things such as that. Uh, so the death doula is there present providing that support guidance uh, to not only the patient or client, but to their family as well. Um, and so I have a official definition uh of what a National End of Life Doula is. Um I'm sorry about what an end of life doula is. Uh the National End of Life Doula Alliance defines end of life doulas as those who provide non-medical, holistic care, and support to the dying person and their family, which may include uh guidance as well as emotional, spiritual, and practical care from early diagnosis uh through to bereavement. Now, not to be mistaken um, as only providing care, you know, at that last moment, um, as a person is transitioning or actively dying. uh, No, doulas like to come in, um, you know, if we can, at the time of diagnosis, uh, to be a support for that patient as well as their family and their support team. Um, So what type of services can doulas provide? um and that just depends on the doula um their skill set their background um what they like to specialize in um the definition from national end of life doula alliance uh stated that this was a non-clinical uh profession um so being those who choose to be end-of-life doulas or deaf doulas and have some type of medical clinical background such as myself um, they may be able to offer additional services for example myself being a nurse i can offer maybe some clinical um, services as far as like medication administration um you know any really direct hands-on care that the client may need um and here's just a list of some things uh That I do in my practice, Um, so I'll just touch on a few, but won't won't go into much detail. Um, So I do assist with advanced care planning, um, and that's helping the patient, client, family uh, just get their affairs in order um, as far as what their wishes are um, at the end of their life. If they patient or client should come to a point where they are unable to speak for themselves, um, you know, I kind of help guide to ahead of time, of course, to get that designated person in place um, that will make those hard decisions for that person at that time. Um, also do some advocacy and care coordination, um, where I work along with um, other healthcare professionals that may be involved in that patient or client's care. Um, and also, there's end-of-life uh, workshops and presentations. Again, going back to that very, very difficult conversation uh, that no one wants to talk about. So the workshops are kind of filled with, um, you know, little icebreakers, games, just kind of open it up and uh, get people talking. Uh, so also there is companionship and mobile respite. I know caregivers that are taking care of their loved ones. Um, you know, sometimes it could be a lot and, and they need a break. So um, that's another service I offer. I can go in and, and just sit and be their companionship. Uh, maybe the loved ones or caregivers need to go out and just get a break, maybe go to the grocery store, uh, maybe just wanna have a few hours to kinda, you know, regroup so I can be there in, in, in that capacity as well. Um, so also um, basic house household support, which will just, you know, include tidying up uh, maybe the residents or a clients space or area where they are, um, just basic housekeeping things. Um, that they may need. Um, Also, legacy products are offered. Um, There is a memory blanket um, that I can help families make where that is something like a collage of maybe the clients, family members of pictures. They've all gathered together. We can put that on a blanket for them. Also, um, gonna be adding in a new service um, where I'm working with another person where she does uh, Memory bears, and what she does is takes a piece of that client's clothing or whatever, and and creates a bear out of that. So that that's nice. Um, and last but not least, I also do a bedside vigiling, uh, and that is for when the client is actively dying or transitioning and needs more one-on-one support, um, bedside support. So, and then again, um, the care that I provide is just based upon you know, whatever that client and their family needs. So it's all tailored to what that family may need. Um, so hospice versus end of life doulas or death doulas. Um, so these these two kind of can overlap, um, but I do think that they can work well together. Um, hospice, you know, I am a certified hospice nurse. Um, and with that being said, I know that some clients that are on um, receiving end-of-life care, hospice care, um, you know, when they're visited by different disciplines and things such as that, they are limited by, um, you know, Medicare guidelines where they only have X amount of hours, maybe even one hour to be with that patient. Um, so I kind of come in and fill that gap in, um, you know, kind of we collaborate together um, and just work together to provide the provide the best care for that client and their family. Um, and here I have a side-by-side of some things that hospice does and then what end-of-life doulas do. Uh, so on the hospice side, they plan the medical care. Um, and with a deaf doula working alongside that hospice um, agency will reinforce the medical care plan by hospice. Uh, and I mentioned briefly that hospice is a Medicare benefit; it's covered 100% by Medicare. Um, whereas death doula's, um, they're all private pay. Um, now, for myself, I do have um, packaged bundles um, that can be, you know, purchased. And also, um, you know, I can work on a sliding scale; it just depends on what the situation is um and for hospice um there are licensed roles licensed clinicians technicians there um with end-of-life doulas there is not a national board yet um that regulates you know what what doulas do and how they can perform their their practice although there are many different um trainings that you can take to become a doula um with the national end of life doula there's a code of conduct um that is kind of we all tend to follow um and that's just pretty much just maintaining our professionalism um and providing the best care that we can um and so with hospice again uh, the care is clearly defined there they have a medical director uh they have a case manager they have other members um on the team and you know they kind of review every couple of weeks or so, you know, the progress that's being made, what needs to be done, if there are any changes that need to be made. Um, so for deaf doulas, um, you know, again, it just depends on that training that that individual has. But again, we will also always support um, the care plan that that was presented by hospice. Um, and then finally, um, we know hospice provides clinical care, whereas doulas, um, you know, mostly they're non-medical care and provide just practical care. Um, So I like to say that end-of-life doulas complement the work of hospice by bridging that gap. Um, That does exist, you know, so that we can bring the best possible care and service to the patients. Uh, Now, why did I become an end-of-life doula? I became an end-of-life doula because I'm passionate about educating and supporting and empowering others about end-of-life care. Um, I've been in the healthcare business for over 35 years uh, with almost 20 years in nursing experience. You know, I've been blessed to hold space for countless dying patients while supporting their families and their loved ones as they take their, their last breath. Uh, So, consequently, I feel like I've been practicing as an end-of-life doula long before I even knew what that term was, Um, and it's definitely been my honor to serve others in this capacity. Um, What I do is genuinely done out of compassion. Um, It is a hard service to me, and I feel that it is my true true calling. Uh, So, I have another quote in here um, by Anne Richardson, Uh, and it says, we cannot change the outcome but we can't affect the journey. Um, so with that being said, uh end of life doulas or or death doulas, um, you know, we understand that you know, this is end of life care. Um, you know, people have terminal diagnosis. Um, you know, we can't change that. But what we will do is, you know, ride along that journey with with that patient and the family, and you know take care of them with care and compassion and make this journey as easy as possible.
0: You had mentioned that you've been a nurse for for quite some time. Yes. Are most death doulas nurses?
1: No, they, they are not. Um, but from my experience and from uh, just meeting other doulas, a lot of them um, have had you know personal experience with death, um, a loved one, um, most or some have volunteered at a hospice agency. Um, so they're, they're, you know, familiar with, with the end of life concerns and issues and things like that. So no, not everyone is a nurse. Okay. It's um, not required to be a nurse.
0: It's not required. Okay.
1: Yeah, um,
0: uh, you had mentioned that the, the optimal time or the time that you recommend to get involved with a deaf doula is a diagnosis. It, it, can you kind of talk a little bit more about that as far as you know diagnosis obviously is when you're diagnosed i, I assume we're we talking about terminal um, terminal terminal, diag- terminal yeah. diagnosis okay
1: yes with the terminal diagnosis um yes doctor has said um you know if the disease or you know progresses or along its natural course um you know a patient may have 6 months or less to live um so we like to get i myself like to get in there um at that time of diagnosis because it is difficult um when you're given a diagnosis such as that um so i just want to be right there to be able to provide that support um you know a listening ear guide them to resources um you know to just whatever is needed at that time um i know in my experience nursing experience um you know, I've come across some that have had terminal diagnosis um, and want no part of hospice, which is okay. I mean, you know, that that's their choice, um, but you know, for those that don't want hospice or not electing to to sign on to hospice at that point, I think doulas can kind of just be that person, you know, to kind of hold their hand until, you know, if they do decide, and if not, you know, they'll still have that, that added support.
0: Yeah. I want to follow, if you don't mind on that, that about the uh, working alongside hospice. How does mm-hmm. that actually work with regards to splitting time? I know you said they're more medical, whereas the deaf doula is is not. So how do you determine the amount of time to spend with the clients, um, you know, as they're going through this journey?
1: Um, so that that is something that's determined uh, at the onset, at the initial consultation with the patient. Um, you know, um, if we're finding out at that time that they are on board with the hospice already, um, you know, we would just like to trade that information and, you know, make the hospice aware that we are also involved in the care, um, that we will work right alongside with them. We're not trying to take away anything from them. We're just an extra added layer of support. Yeah,
0: is there a... uh a typical length or number of hours associated with uh, a death doula as far as an assignment with an individual?
1: Um, well, again, the, all of that is determined at uh, consultation, but I will say uh, for myself, if I have a client that is active or transitioning, um, I'll just try to hold, have one client at that time so that I can make myself available. Um, you know, things change quickly during that stage. Um, so I just want to be available, be it by phone, Zoom, in person. Um, so n- not trying to spread myself too thin, but um, you know, when I get a client that is at that stage, um, I- I'll only accept one at that time. Yeah.
0: I want to talk about your journey a little bit. Obviously, a nurse for for many years, and, and mm-hmm. you, you talked a little bit about the reason why you've kind of transitioned to end-of-life doula. Mm-hmm. is what the reasoning was it because of the the medical constraints or is it the the ability to provide more of that practical care i'd like to kind of get a better understanding as far as you know your reasonings and why individuals would seek out a doula as opposed to let's just say a hospice uh individual
1: okay and i think i think it's a little of of both um of what you said uh the time constraint and then wanting to provide that practical care Um, So, I started out working in uh, skilled nursing facilities and I would see hospice nurses come in uh, to see patients, Um, but you know, they were there for maybe an hour and then, you know, they they were gone. Um, You know, sometimes family members were present at that visit as well. Um, You know, and then they still had questions. They probably were still a little uncomfortable with what was going on. you know and as the visit is going on they're not thinking of everything they wanted to ask or things like that so i would find myself um just gravitating to that particular patient in that family and i i would just sit there with them um, so that that's where i think that that gap comes in um i mean hospice is wonderful i mean I, i've been doing hospice for many years um, it is a wonderful service um but again, you know, it, it is regulated as far as time constraints. Uh, so doulas, um, you know, whatever time we can work out with the patient and the client, whatever time is needed, um, you know, we, we'll, we'll work that out. Um, and as for me, I mentioned that I do like bundle different services together. Um, mm-hmm. So for example, if someone only wants to hire me for maybe 10 hours of service, it does not necessarily need to be 10 consecutive hours. They might need me for an hour on this day, a couple hours on this day, um, you know. However, they see fit to to work this out. Um, okay. and like I said, the journey is theirs. I'm I'm there for them to, you know, whatever they need.
0: And where does the deaf doula work? Is it in the homes? If somebody's in, uh, you know, it, w- the hospital, I assume that the travel goes wherever the patient is.
1: Yes. Yes. It, it would be wherever the patient is more than likely. It would be um, in the patient's home, maybe an assisted living facility, a warding care, a skilled nursing facility, pretty much where, wherever the patient is, you know, just with the understanding if they're in some type of facility that, you know, the family has privately hired um, a death doula and we will be, you know, stopping in periodically or, you know, as they see fit, you know, again, not to take away from anything that they're doing just to complement and and add another extra layer of support, extra eyes, extra ears. I'm
0: going to talk a little bit about COVID. Um, What are, what in your mind or how are, how is the role of a deaf doula? How has it changed or has it changed with the introduction of COVID and virtual versus in-person? So kind of what was it before? Where do you, where is it now? And then maybe if you could look into the future and kind of put a crystal ball here and say, Okay, this is the type of support I see that we could be providing that could be an extra benefit for a loved one and their family.
1: Yes, so so with COVID, of course, um, you know the in-person visits were kind of kind of restricted. Um, so I know myself and you know some other deaf doulas that that I'm aware of um, started doing virtual uh, Zoom. Um, and like I say, the work that we do is, you know, is it's all encompassing. It, it's very holistic. Whatever the the family. Wants and needs, so some things can be done over Zoom. Um, you know, just that support, um, phone calls. Um, you know, ha- however they want, they want to work it out. Of course, maintaining safe and safety, and being mindful of, um, you know, COVID precautions and things like that. So, in the future, I see, um, I see, I see it continuing as it is. Um, you know, m- more of like a hybrid, either mm-hmm. in person or, you know, virtually. And I think um, virtually it it opens up a lot more um opportunity. Um you know, sometimes people don't, you know, for whatever reason, COVID obviously, don't want to accept visitors into their home. So um, you know, willing to do the virtual method. So that that works too. Yeah.
0: What are the, you mentioned a typical household functions. Uh, can mm-hmm. you go a little bit more detail? Uh, I assume that'll be something like what a home health care company provides, something along those lines as far as the, the non-medical?
1: Yes, yes. Maybe like some light housekeeping, uh, do a little errand running, um, you know, just tidying up uh, light mills and things like that.
0: Okay. Now, do end-of-life doulas also support the families as well. Um, so the personal caregivers. I know you had mentioned that, you know, to kind of give a one of the benefits of an of an end of life doula is to to be with the individual to kind of give that family member that family caregiver a break. Is is the role of a doula as well to 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 work with or to comfort the family as well as the individual that's uh, on this journey
1: yeah yes definitely definitely um lots of education we want to empower not only the patient or the client but their family as well um you know it's it, it's it's the unknown um you know people are uncomfortable with it um you know they're afraid of what's to happen um you know just there to be that guidance you know no question is off limit um you know if you just want to vent um you know, just, just whatever, whatever is needed. I mean, we recognize that, you know, this is a, being a caregiver is a lot. Um, you know, it, it, it can be a lot to deal with everything that you're dealing with. So we just want to be able to walk alongside with that caregiver and support them in any way that we can. Yeah.
0: So I believe it said, Sharon, that, a a end of life doula that our doulas, death doulas are not regulated. Was that the right terminology?
1: Uh yes, and, and by that I mean that there is no governing board that says um you need to have X amount of hours of training um okay. to become a doula. Um nothing saying that okay you can see a client, but you only have one hour, two hours with them. So none of that. Um, which I think is 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 good and you know for death doulas and for clients as well, because you know, we're we're just open you know, whatever time is needed, we can work it out, our schedule, their schedule, you know, we can make it happen.
0: Yeah, so I wanna stay with that, if, if you don't mind, I know you said there's a couple different alliances. Um, mm-hmm. There's two different alliances, is that correct, with the death doula? It's
1: as, uh, as far as NIDA, the National End of Life Doula Alliance? Yeah. It, yes. Yes, um, and, the, and there are several others that I'm okay. also uh, members of, and we all just collectively support uh doulas you know we're all trying to raise awareness we're all trying to support um you know we've been talking about establishing some collaborations i mean this profession is is pretty new and and it's emerging um so you know for example if i'm in my area um and i'm available you know i want to be able to have a a directory that i can pull from and say okay i'm not available but this doula may be available
0: yeah for, for those that are watching this as far as, can you help people understand the difference between like chronic versus terminal when they get that type of a diagnosis and the role a death doula plays with those individuals?
1: Okay, yes. Uh, for those with, with chronic uh, illnesses, it may be something like CLPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, where it waxes and wanes, where you have um, exacerbations, periods where you have difficulty um, with breathing, um, you know, respiratory distress, um, you know, medications can manage those symptoms, uh, for you. Um, but you know, there are some times where something triggers an exacerbation. Um, so in that case, we would support that person, um, with that chronic condition and just kind of come up with, uh, plans and, and, uh, ways to like conserve energy, you know, just reeducate, reinforce, um, the best way to manage that that disease, and for those with a terminal diagnosis, of course, um, you know, again, that that disease will run its natural course, and a doctor has certified that that patient is terminally ill, six months or less to live. Um, so there there's no cure there. Um, that person is not seeking any curative treatment versus going back to chronic. Um, you know, they they have treatments that they're doing. Um, They're taking medications, they're doing treatments to manage, whatever that is. Um, Terminal on the end, they're not, other end, they're not doing anything to curative measures.
0: So I know you had talked about hospice and Mm -hmm. the similarities and the differences between hospice and and an end of life doula. Are are there other professions that, you know, that are, you had mentioned other collaborative type Mm -hmm. of of industries or professions. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that as far as maybe when you're at these, uh, conferences and these collaborations that you're looking to do, what does that look like? Or or where, what do you kind of, where do you think things are going with regards to that collaboration?
1: Um, I, I think it's, it's going well. Um, collaboratively, I've, I've come across some, uh, clergy, um, pastors, um, that have you know have their own churches or whatever and they have a ministry of uh you know end of life care things like that i've come across some social workers um who are also you know in place for like resources and things like that um you know of course home health aides, uh caregivers um you know nurses so all of that kind of overlaps. Um, You know, it's just a wide range of background for those who choose to um, go into this this space.
0: Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the care team? Now, as a nurse, you're familiar with the the care team. Uh How, as a death doula, when you enter a situation with an individual who's, let's just say they've received a terminal diagnosis and you know, people on the, the term palliative care and hospice mm-hmm. and death doulas. How come, I know mean, you've gone into a bit, you know, as far as hospice birth versus end-of-life doula. So mm-hmm. uh, if somebody's watching this for the first time and they've, you know, them or a loved one has unfortunately received some type of a terminal diagnosis. How would a care team kind of, you know, understand what each, whether it's palliative care, how, how does that work?
1: Um, so for that, um, everything is driven by the patient. Um, our initial contact is with that patient um and from that point, if we learn or when we learn that there's a hospice team or other medical professionals involved, of course, with patients' permission, um we will collaborate with with whoever is involved in that patient's care. Um, you know sometimes they may allow us to you know receive um, medical information uh test results and things like that um you know, just so that we can kind of go over, um, reiterate, you know, what doctors and what other clinicians have said. We definitely all wanna be on the same page. Um, So, you know, it's good to know who's involved in care, um, you know, given that client's permission, family's permission so that we can communicate with them and, and collaborate with them.
0: You, I think you had said that uh, insurance is not covered with end of life doula is is do you looking into the future is there any type of a change with regards to that coming down
1: um in into the future um hopefully I would say but then again um you know with that then we would have to go with the um you know the type restrictions and regulations and things like that we're we're kind of you know okay with like the fact that we don't have so many restrictions you know what i'm saying as far as what we can do how we can do when we can do it um and again everything is is driven by that patient in, in their family um so i know a lot of other death doulas um they do have set rates and prices but again um you know we just want to raise that awareness let folks know that, you know, there is an additional service out there at the end of life. Um, so, you know, we work on a sliding scale. I know for myself, I've given away some services, you know, for free. Um, you know, it it just depends on, on the situation. Excellent.
0: Well, this has been wonderful. How can people find you, Sharon?
1: Okay, let me see. Uh, okay, there's my information there. My website is... Uh, www.serenityendoflifedoula and that's s e r e n i t y e n d o f l i f e and d o u l a dot com uh, email is care at serenity end of life doula and I can be found on Instagram at serenity doula and i also have a patreon account uh serenity doula where i send out some curated information and things like that
0: and where exactly are you located in california
1: i am in uh account uh Marietta, california i service uh riverside and san diego counties
0: okay and virtual
1: uh yes i virtually as well
0: okay well, this has been wonderful. Thank you again, Sharon. Um, as far as knowledgeable aging, you can go to knowledgeableaging.com, see all of our upcoming and archived uh, webinars. You can find us on YouTube. I encourage you to subscribe. We update that a couple times per month. Um, if the podcasts are your thing, you can find us on Apple Tunes, Spotify, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is knowledgeable aging.